We're so glad that you found this Peak City message today. Our prayer is that during our time together, you're able to discover Jesus and are encouraged to follow him fearlessly. Uh, my name is Trish Davis, and if you are new to Peak City Church, I was here almost a year ago, which is crazy, um, I, I believe for Mother's Day. So I'm excited that I got asked to come back, and I want to share a little bit about my family before we dive in today. Uh, my husband Justin and I, we've been married for 28 years. I don't know, that's what I always hope people are like, oh, no way, she's too young, but whatever, it never happens. Uh, we have five kids. I have a picture of my family. Uh, this is my oldest son, Micah's wedding. They got married five years ago. It'll be this summer. We have uh, three biological boys, and then we adopted our son and daughter, Jalen and Janiah. I think it was going to be like seven years ago when they were seven and nine. So our family like continues to just grow. And I love the picture of us, them jumping up and down because we really are kind of wild and messy. But you guys, I really thought today that I was going to share this amazing story about my family growing because at Christmas time, our family, we're a little weird how we do Christmas. It literally lasts for hours because as our family has grown, since the kids were little, we get all the gifts out from underneath the tree and then we, or we stack our gifts next to us and then we literally watch every single gift be opened by every single person. It's ours, but I am all in. This year, my oldest son, Micah, and his wife, Riley, they gave me a card. And I saw this card, and it was all I could think about. Because in this card, I thought, they're having a baby. This is my grandbaby in this card. And, and it was so sad is that my husband, he went through all this effort to write a song for me. He had a song written for me, and he played it. And I was like, oh, that was amazing. But I want to get to this envelope. So everybody opens their gifts. I make an excuse to go, like, get my hair done and do my face a little bit just in case because I want my grandbaby to, like, see that I was kind of cute back in the day. And so I, it, the time has come. And I open this envelope. And it is the dumbest card. Well, I shouldn't say that, but it was just this card. I can't remember what the gift was. I think it was like family photos. And I was like, what is going on? Like I was, I thought we were growing, but we're not. But I love my family. Another family that I have loved just as long is the one that I have raised is my church family. My husband and I, Justin, we have been in ministry since we were 18 years old. And listen, we've done every kind of church you can think of. We've done like rural community churches. We've done inner city church. We've done mega churches. We've done suburban churches. In fact, we've planted two churches. And we love the church family. So when I say I love my church family, we got a lot of church family. So I love being here. And what is true about the church is that it's a place of home. Right? This is the place that we come to, but when you think about the word um, house, we're in today talking about like what is the heart for the house? And when you think of the word house, I think of the word home. And what's interesting about the church is there's a lots, lots of churches, but they kind of all look different, right? You have your traditional churches that have steeples, then you have churches that have garage doors that open, which is amazing. You guys, I'm a Midwestern girl. So like when they open those doors and Pikes Peak is right there, I like lose my mind, right? Like I love this church. And so when they were talking about thinking about the house, having a heart for the house, I'm like, man, I am so here because I love the church family. And so what I wanna talk about today is the church 
and how awesome that we can be, but then how messy we can be. Because just like my family, we have expectations of each other. And the mission of this house, your mission statement is to help people discover Jesus and follow him fiercely. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that make you just wanna run through a brick building? Like, oh man, we wanna help people discover Jesus and follow him fiercely. The problem is, is that we're people and we have thoughts and we have feelings. And I'm gonna say the C word. I know I'm like, I'm not gonna say it, but through COVID, right? We experience a whole different side of each other. And we had deep feels, right? We had lots of thoughts. And we realized like expectations of how we live out our mission varied from one person to another and things got messy. My husband and I, we planted our second church, it'll be seven years ago. And in 2019 for Christmas, it was like being around Peak City. We were growing, it was so much fun. We had over 600 people in attendance and we ended up moving to another church, like a, a congregation that was dying and they had this ginormous church. So they let us move into it and we had to buy chairs because so many people were coming and then COVID hit. And we just never recovered. And so the world shut down and when the world reopened, we had about 80 people coming and people stopped giving. And we just kept thinking, it's gonna get better, it's going to get better. And the last time I was here, the week prior, I had just closed the doors to our church house. And I remember my husband sharing with our congregation that we decided as a staff and um, as a leadership team that we needed to close. And so then the following week after that announcement was Easter. We're talking about resurrection. And you guys, so many people came. And then the following week was our last week and hundreds of people came. And I wasn't able to quantify it, but my husband did months later in such a powerful way. What he felt like is that our church family came back to experience our funeral and then asked us how we died. And I know for some of you, you are here today and you have your own church hurt. Maybe you grew up in a church that had a toxic climate and you're kind of here, but you're not really sure why. Maybe for you, you've heard a lot of bad things about the church in the news and you're here, but you're super skeptical. Maybe you're here today because life has dealt you some hard stuff. Things have gone off the rails and you're just looking for a place to try and find your footing. Can I say what I love about the church in this house in particular, that it is the best place to ask those questions. And here's the deal. When we ask those kind of questions, most often it's not, you're not gonna get a one answer response that's going to fix those questions, but we have them. And like me, over this past year, even as a pastor in ministry for 25 years, I'm like, why church? Do we really need a church? Maybe you've asked that question, like, why do we go to church? Why do we sing? What's up with that? Why do we have to listen to someone every Sunday? Like, why do they keep asking us for our money? You can laugh at that, That's, that was supposed to be funny, right? Like we, we ask these questions and so today what I wanna do is I feel like the Lord has given me this message is written just for this house. 
And I wanna ask those questions, and I wanna have a conversation about what does it mean to have a heart for this house? Because church is messy, and maybe you feel messy, but this is the best place to be in your mess. When I was five, my mom was invited to a small inner city church where I grew up in Joliet, Illinois, south of Chicago. I mean, Colorado Springs, you are known for your beautiful landscape and mountains. In Joliet, we are known for our prison. We, we're very proud of it. If you have seen the Blues Brothers, that is our prison. So that is our statement and our moment in life. But I, we were invited to this small inner city Baptist church by my mom's twin sister. And I remember going, I was five years old and my parents didn't grow up going to church. So we had no idea what we were doing. And so we walked in and it was so cool. People were so nice. And then we kept coming back and they remembered our names. It was the coolest thing. Then they had this thing called children's church or like Sunday school. And when you went, they had these awesome things called snacks. And I thought it was like the coolest. In fact, my teacher, her name was Mrs. Jolly. I mean, how is that not a great name for a Sunday school teacher? I will say she was the most introverted, quiet person I've ever met in my life, but she was so sweet. And she would share things about the Bible. Then she started reading these stories to us out of um, C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I grew up a very literal kid. I'm severely dyslexic. So I had no idea where people were going once they entered to that closet. It was so confusing, but they had snacks. And I remember like there was a shift in my family when we started going to church. Uh, my parents, uh, before we started going to church, they did drugs, they drank a lot, they partied a lot. Their friends were fun. They were wild and crazy. But my mom, she had lost her dad when she was in eighth grade and then her mom died two years later of breast cancer. My dad grew up as one of the oldest in a very large family with lots of siblings and his dad left and went back. I think he moved back to Mexico. My family, that side of my family is Hispanic and he never really came back until my dad was way older in life. And so there was so much abandonment for him not having a dad. And so when they got invited to church, they found a family, like they found belonging. You see, the heart of the house is an invitation. Think about it. When you think about your home, you would not just let anybody just walk into your house, right? You would invite them in. And what my family found is they found this place of belonging. They found a family. And so I'm interested for those of you here today, or if you're online watching, put it in the chat. How many of you made your way to Hope City via an invitation that somebody invited you? Raise your hand. Yeah. That's way cool. You see, the heart of the house isn't an invitation to a building. It's an invitation to a belonging, to discover home, to discover life together, to walk alongside each other. You see, gathering for worship connects those far from God to the heart of God. And maybe some of you, like you've been wanting to invite somebody, but it's like awkward. I get it, like even as a pastor, I'm like, it's so awkward to invite people. But what began to shift in my heart and mind is when I began to see the church as a family rather than a building. And there's something powerful when, like him, when you invite someone to come into the church to belong. The heart of the house is an invitation. Uh, the church that I grew up in, um, it was incredible. It was small. 
that we had like a choir that we sang hymns to and our choir was awesome. They wore these like purple, like Prince would be so proud, purple robes with like these white sashes. And in the building, there was a, a pipe organ and the pipes were like actually in like the walls. It was incredible. And we would sing these hymns, but there was this particular hymn. Every time we sang it, people, they, they lost their minds. And so if you grew up in the church, you're probably familiar with this song if you sang hymns, and it's called How Great Thou Art. And all of a sudden, the chorus would happen. And even like the person who hasn't been paying attention the whole time, they begin to sing. Then sings my soul, anybody? My Savior God to thee. Then it gets really fun. How great thou art, right? How great thou art, you know? Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. This is when it gets wild. How great thou art. People go Mariah Carey. How great thou art. You know, you're like, and I'm like, oh my gosh, the stained glass windows, they're about to shatter. It was crazy up in our church. And the hymns, they didn't sound anything like the songs we heard on the radio. But something happened to my little brain. Like, I loved when we sang about God, and I didn't know why. I loved how someone was either singing too loud, they were singing off key, but there was something unique to it. And maybe you've been coming to church and you love feeling a sense of belonging, but you're like, why do we sing? Uh, what is in it? I love psychology. I love learning how God wired us and how we think and feel and respond just to life in general. And there's a psychologist, his name is Dr. I'm gonna just be so bad with his name, Dr. Sharam Heshmet. If you're watching, I'm sorry, you can tell me how to say it. But he talks about why music moves us. And the first thing he says about music is that it helps us to reminisce. Have you ever listened to a song and as soon as it hits, you think of a moment or like this incredible season of life that that song was always playing in the background. And when I was thinking about what artist in my life has made so many memorable moments, and the moments that I've had on so many wedding dance floors. And of course, the person that I thought of was Queen Bee herself, right? Come on. Yes. So crazy right, now. right? Like it just makes you, yeah. listen, I'm like, you gotta cut it off. I'll be like, dance. If you have never made it onto a wedding dance floor while Queen Bee is like Beyonce is singing, add it to your bucket list, right? But music, it reminds us. We reminisce and we remember. He says that music, it synchronizes our movements. That there is an effect in our movements because our auditory system as we listen connects to our gross motor. So if you've ever been like somewhere, you don't even know the song, but you find yourself like tapping your feet. I was trying to think like what music I believe inspires the world. And I think it's Latin music, so I'm gonna give you a little taste of it. I mean, I mean y'all should be like, right? Oh, I love Latin music. If you are not moving, I need to pray for you, right? There is something that music, it, it's an invitation to like physically engage. So music helps us reminisce. It allows us to physically respond. He goes on to say that music, it creates anticipation. 
that what makes music so emotionally powerful is the creation of like what's to come or the expectation of what's to come. And so when I was thinking about what song collectively makes us anticipate, here you go. Can you feel the anticipation? Here it comes. Right? Woo! That song's playing. You know that Rocky or Donnie, he's getting ready. It's about to go down. We are anticipating for that fight to be won, right? There's anticipation. And lastly, he says that it creates in us a sense of awe. That when we listen to music, when we sing, when we engage with it, there's a sense of awe and wonder. And I was like, well, what's the best song for that? Here you go. Wait for it right here. Right? I mean, that song has been creating some awe for a long time, right? Generations. But if you've ever wondered, like, why do we sing? Like, what is it about music? Well, in, in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God created us in his image. That God created us to connect to him through worship. That when we gather for worship, it connects our hearts to God's heart. When we come to worship, we get to reminisce about how God has showed up in our life. We get to physically engage and we get to anticipate and sit in his awe and wonder. You see, the heart of the house is found through invitation. The heart of the house is when we gather together and we worship together. I want you to think about a time where maybe you were uninvited. Anybody have that moment where you were like uninvited somewhere? Wow, you guys are popular, amazing people. Well, I've had a moment and growing up in the 90s, it was so awesome being a teenager in the 90s because you, there wasn't social media. So if you weren't invited to something, you didn't find out till Monday. And we were so old school that if pictures were taken, you had to take the film to Walgreens to get developed. And that took forever that by the time you had the pictures, everyone forgot about what you were missing out on. But now we live in a day where social media, it is immediate access to exclusion, right? It's this immediate access to go, man, I didn't get invited to that. And what I love about the heart of the house what I love about this church home, what I love about the Big C Church is it is the only place that I can think where everybody is invited. Regardless of your age, your race, your socioeconomic status, everybody is invited. But God knew, like in this invitation to belong, and not just belong here, it's an invitation to belong to our forever family in heaven. But God knew that we would need each other on this side of heaven. That's why we are encouraged in Hebrews chapter 10, it says this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another, to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now. Now that the day has returned, of his return is drawing near. Another way to say this is gathering for worship connects our lives to the lives of others. This is why we do small groups of people. This is why we serve in different ways. It's not a check mark. It's to do life together. When we started Hope City Church, my son, um, who is now going to be a sophomore in college, 
he was in eighth grade and he invited his friend Otto, who did not come from a church background. He met him on his football team, uh, invited him to church. And then Otto kept coming. And then Otto was the first person to get baptized at Hope City Church. And then Otto invited his friend Annabelle, who did not come from a church background. And then Annabelle, she got baptized. And then Annabelle invited her dad, who didn't come from a church background. And her dad invited her mom and his wife. It was this amazing experience of invitation, of belonging, of gathering. See, God knew that we would need each other on this side of heaven. A place to be messy. A place to belong. And I remember about two years into Hope City, there was a woman who came in, and I remember this because when you're a church planner and you are looking for volunteers, anytime a large family comes in and it doubles, you know, your, your students, you're like, hey, Joe, can you come help rock a baby, right? Well, this mom walks in with five kids, and I was like, oh, no, we, we need some people, right? And she walks in, and um, she introduces herself, and she says, my name is Angie, these are my kids, and she, her oldest son, I think, was like middle school, her next two girls were in maybe elementary, middle school, and then she had twins that were like pre-K and she was pregnant. The problem is, is that she was pregnant with her sixth baby, but her husband was not the father. And I remember her walking in and sharing her story and she needed help. So a few of us from the church, we went to her house and things were really toxic between her and her husband. They really weren't on speaking terms. We began packing up and trying to help with the kids and just, it was a very hopeless situation. But Angie kept coming to church. And at church, even in her mistakes, like how Kim felt, like she thought her hair was gonna be on fire and just felt like she would be ousted. She was the other woman. What she found was forgiveness and she found belonging. She found a place where she was invited in, not in her imperfection, but in her brokenness. And so as they began to come, her ex-husband began to see a shift in her. And so her ki his kids began asking if he would come to Hope City. And after about 18 months, he started coming. And this broken family with an infant that definitely did not belong to her husband sat just like you. And for the next year, God would do what only he could through the power of his love as a conduit through you. And these people loved the face off of these people. They looked to encourage them. They came to meet their needs. And about 18 months after her ex-husband started coming to church, my husband and I found ourselves standing in kind of a shady grass area, like a shade tree, with her husband, her ex-husband, Angie standing in front of us, her kids on each side, her ex-husband holding the toddler that did not belong to him as we remarried them. It was incredible. You see, the church isn't about our stories always working out, but God knew that we do not have to do life alone, that we were created to do life together. And so as we close, when we think about the invitation of the house, the power of that invitation to change our lives,
I want to close in a way that's going to be a little bit different. And it may be a little uncomfortable. All my introverts are like, Trish, what are you asking me? But I'm just going to ask you just to be brave today. So here's my last thought about the heart of the house. Gathering for worship connects our gifts to the needs of others. What are you gifted in? Where's God calling you to love on this church family? I want you to think about that. My passion is not to speak. My passion is not to write. My passion, what I feel like God has gifted me is I love to encourage the face off of people. I love to look people in the eye and say, God has given you a gift. And I see this over and over again. So I'm gonna end just in that way. And I'm gonna begin with a generation that I love so much, really two generations now coming up. And if you are, even if you are not a student anymore, you are adulting full-fledged, if you are a Gen Z, or even uh, if you're like, I don't know if I'm a Gen Z, I'm younger, you would be a Gen Alpha. If you are from Gen Z or Gen Alpha, I want you to stand up. Would you be willing just to stand up? Okay. If you are a Gen Z or an Alpha watching online with your family, I want to encourage you to let us know who you are in the chat. Ooh, Gen Z, man, there are two things I want you to know. You have a gift. You have a gift. You have a gift. You have a gift. And God is not waiting for you to figure out adulthood. He's not waiting for you to figure out whatever, if you are a student, whether middle school, high school, God is not waiting for you to figure out your life. He's looking for you to start changing the world now. So I want you to know you have a gift, but I wanna encourage you, will you use them? I want you to know, the person I am today, the reason I'm here today is because another student invited me in. They invited me to youth group. And although I'm a rule follower at heart, I was not living a godly life. I had a reputation for sleeping around. I had a reputation for being with the wrong crowd, but someone invited me in. Gen Z, Gen Alpha, are you willing to begin changing the world today? You can have a seat. Millennials, where you at? Where are my millennials? Stand up. If you don't know, just Google it real quick. It's okay. Millennials, what I love about you is you are innovators. You are shaking things up. You have taken the innovation of the world, has changed from technology, and you began to change the status quo of how we function in life. You begin to grab the reins to say, we don't have to do it like it always has been done. You are transforming this world. And what I love about my millennials is you guys don't just see your neighbors, you see the world. And so the one, two things I wanna share, the first is this, will you use your gifts? Will you use your gifts? Secondly, would you be willing to partner with this house to continue to lead people to a place of transformation?
Are you willing? You have the most powerful opportunity to reach both the generations that have come before you and a generation that is looking to you that do not know life any different in the world that we live today. Would you be willing to step into this house and be a part of transforming lives? You can have a seat. My Gen Xers, where are you? My people, stand up. Y'all, we're hitting 50. What's happening? We're hitting, that's why they're not standing up. They're like, oh, if you ain't already 50, it's around the corner, friends. Gen X, we're this small little generation, and here's the hard truth. We are not known for anything. We're not. But what I believe God wants to do with us is that we are now entering the second half. And we have an opportunity to lead We have an opportunity to mentor. We have an opportunity to begin saying, you know what, this second half, we are going to make our mark. So here's what I want you to know. God is not done with you. You are perfectly positioned to mentor the generations that are coming up. They are desperate for you to lead. And so my question to you, As you look back on the last 50 years, maybe you have lived a charmed life and that's incredible. You've got great things to say, but my gut is you've got some regrets. My gut is you're staring down the other half and you're feeling more lonely than you're feeling empowered. Can I tell you, God longs to use you. This is not a motivational speak. This is God's house. And he's saying, would you be willing to mentor in the second half of your life? You can have a seat. Lastly, but not least, where are my boomers? Where's my greatest generation? Where's my greatest generation? Give it up for these people, y'all. What I learned about Kim's story is that Sherwin is from this generation. And what God wants you to know today is two things. And the first is this, God absolutely loves you and he is so proud of you. And I don't know what life that you're looking back on and you're feeling, man, God's just done with me. Can I say the church is desperate for sages? And maybe you're a sage in how to live life all the wrong ways, but your wisdom, it changes generations. Would you be willing to learn somebody's name? Would you be willing to see somebody who is desperate just to be seen, just to be known? You hold the power of a sage wisdom that we all hope we get to. Are you willing? I'm gonna have everybody stand up and as I close, I wanna read this scripture as a prayer over each and every one of you, regardless of your generation, but as a representation of this house a house that has a mission to help people discover Jesus and then follow him fearlessly. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says this. And so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. 
By his death, Jesus opened a new life, a life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have this high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into his presence with God, with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. That's my prayer, church, that you would trust him that you would see beyond what you think you are and see you how God sees you. And he sees you as loved. He sees you as chosen. He sees you as redeemed. And it ain't a hype speech. It is a real passionate love. And so as we close, we're gonna close in worship. But I wanna take a moment. I just want you to bow your heads. And there are some of you here today that you have just, you hear and you see and you, you kind of want to be a part of this, but you don't know how to. I want to give you a personal invitation. That's why I have everybody's eyes closed. For you to know that this is about you and God. And maybe the invitation has been there and you just, you don't know how to receive it. Can I say, Jesus loves you. And he is inviting you to be a part of this family. And he just says, if you accept me into your heart, I will receive you and you will have eternity with me. You will be forgiven and you will be loved as I've always loved you and I've always chosen you, but now you have chosen me. If that's you today, whether you're online or you're in person and you want for the first time to make a declaration, Jesus, I want to choose to be in a relationship with you. Would you raise your hand? It's not about people in the room, it's about you and Jesus. Thank you, I see you. You can put your hands down. If you raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer. And all of us in the room who have prayed this prayer over and over again, I want you to re-emphasize it in your heart. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that you said while we were still sinners, you died for me and I don't understand it. I'm not really sure what to do with it, but I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that three days you walked out of a grave and you began this new life, this new life that Hebrews talks about that even in a really hard world, we can trust you. And collectively as this house, Jesus, we thank you and we praise you, praise you, Father, for all that you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this Peak City message today. If you'd like more information on Peak City Church or if you'd like to give to the mission here in Colorado Springs, then check us out at peakcityco.com.